Broadcasting from Ireland, featuring interviews with some of the biggest names in magic. Welcome to the Deceit Reality Podcast with your hosts, David Peace and Steve Spade. And hopefully we are live. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Deceit Reality Podcast. Thank you so much for coming along. And we are joined today by an amazing guest, someone you probably have seen recently on Panatella Fulos, John Morton. John, how are you doing today? I'm very good. I'm very good. <laughs> So as, as I was saying, a lot of people saw this big buzz about your foolish performance, especially fooling with a children's book. But uh, for people who haven't been on that show, what was that like experience like for you and uh, how, how was everything? Nerve-wracking, I think is the word. Um, so the, the one thing I'd say about foolers over, like, for instance, BGT or something like that, is that all they want to do is make a really good show. So... Even though you might be nervous, even though you're worried that, you know, oh, it's not going to quite look right or anything, all they want is to make a really good magic show. So as long as as long as long you don't mess it up, you, they're going to make you look good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> it, helps, it helps a little bit with the nerves that, you know, they're not going to do like the what BGT used to do where they made you look a fool. They won't do that. You know, um, I think the only way that would happen is if you argued with Penn and Teller. And if you did that, they probably just wouldn't show it. Simple as that. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They wanted to feel like a happy environment that people come on very straightforward and stuff. It's the sense that I always get. Yeah, because without us, yeah. they haven't got a show. So, you know, they, they need it to look that way. I mean, for me, um, I mean, I the reason that the way I got on the show uh, I've always wanted to do it, and I always wanted to do it with the with the baby book if I was going to do it at all, because yeah. I knew it was the one trick that fooled pretty much every other magician. So I knew I had a chance with it, um, and I'd offered it to other magicians. Um, that was all true what I said on the intro, and mm-hmm. nobody was interested in doing the baby book because it's just a little kid's book. But I knew the strength of it, um, so all I had to do was put up like a, a routine for it. Now the hardest thing with that was definitely the fact that. Um, they you have to find, do fill five minutes, which is hard, mm. though it can be. Um, and because my trick can be done very, very short, you don't have to do it five minutes. So I have to make fill five minutes and no audience, which was yeah. really hard because that I had a few different ideas with an audience member. We could do all different things all out of the window because of COVID. So it was a case of okay, so we're going to live stream, and they decided they were going to do it from here from my little workshop. So I'm going to look like a man in a shed. Who's live streaming to Las Vegas? Um, which is much what it looked like, if you ask me. But um, yeah, it's it's a weird one, but it, it went okay. You know, I had confidence in the trick, um, which was good. I mean, they actually had it. Um, I was supposed to go on uh, at seven o'clock live streams, and due to the act before me, something happened that, that delayed everything. I was actually on at half past ten. So I was three hours sat here just getting more and more nervous by the second. Um, all the scripts I had just went out the window, forgot it all, couldn't remember any of it. So it was just a case of, well, just luckily I've done the trick a million times, which is if you're going to do anything like this, um, then that's the thing to do. So I just fell back on everything I'd done before. You yeah. know. I so, always yeah. think that you can see as you were. Quite Sorry. Oh yeah, I was just saying you could see as you were performing it that Penn and Teller had no idea. You could see that they just had no idea. That you could see that automatically they were like, "No, we haven't seen this before." Yeah, well, the beauty of it is, I think um, I, I was, I was, well, I was quite underground. I might not be so much now, uh, but with the magic community, a, a few people knew of me, um, and they tend to keep me a bit of a secret. I think because I built quite a few props for quite a few people over the years. Uh, and I've, I've created a lot of effects and I've um, worked with other people to develop different effects. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's, well, I've kept very much under the radar. What I said about um, I'd rather somebody else, you know, I'm quite happy if somebody else performs something that I've built. That's totally true. I'm not bothered about being a star. That really has no interest to me at all. You know, I do, all I want to do is uh, I like to perform. I like to perform at weddings. So I'm not really interested in being like the big stage magician type thing doesn't really interest me. I've done stage and I do it occasionally. I usually do it as part of a, of a group of magicians. Um, but I'm more at home doing wedding magic, you know, because I enjoy it. Simple as that. 
you know, I'm building stuff for other people. It's it's great to be able to do That's what good. you love, but also help other people out. It's uh, definitely something that because I, I, well, I think we all come into the ideas where we come up with really great ideas, but they just don't suit us or our performance environments ever. So most of the time they just get left down. So like how much how much great magic has just not been done because the person who taught of us went, nah, I wouldn't do that. But a hundred magicians around the corner would give anything to be able to perform it. Totally agree. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a big one. I mean, God, don't get me started on character build, on character performance because I have a big thing about character performance and knowing who you are in magic, which I know is is quite a thing that a lot of people ask. Is how do I how do I know who I am and, and what what tricks suit me? Well, I I sussed that out quite early on, um, and for me, so there are certain tricks that I've created that don't suit me, but. But I'd rather I find the magician that they would suit, and I give it to them. You know, yeah. that's that. You know, I want it. I want it sort of like the, I want it to be out there, just not necessarily by me. You know, Def, definitely. You you can see that. And uh, with with uh, all the stuff that you've created, do you have a favorite one that like stands out to you? What you created, or is that like asking someone to pick their favorite child? It is a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, the one I perform I most. Um, the, probably the one I'm most proud of is Icon, the big Icon, the, the one that does the lottery, because it was the one that really got me noticed, I think. Uh, originally, we were Magic Store. Now, um, now I make a different version of it uh, myself, which is uh, quite an improvement on the on the previous one, because it folds now, and it's got like a wood veneer finish. It's, it's just a lot a lot nicer sort of item, if you like. Um, uh, sure that. The one I perform most actually isn't my own. It's um, the 20th century phantom cutouts that I that I make for people uh, and for myself. I mean, if I'm performing, I'll do that maybe six, seven times a night. If I'm doing a big corporate gig, I might do it 14 times a night, and every single table will be a different face. Yeah. You know? yeah. I remember doing you, Steve, years ago. We, we, did, a, <laughs> we did a cut out of you. Uh, I think with shades on at the time, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that they always say to have a silhouette, and uh, Steve definitely has with the hair and the sunglasses that silhouette that really stands out, which is a yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to when oh, then my I hair fell out. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's still going at the back. <laughs> Mine went from the front and then the back and then everything together, and I was just like, ah, oh, well. What are you going to do? I'm now the bald mind reader, which is, I think, every mind reader is going bald at the moment. It's great. That's why I'm all growing beards, just to keep a bit of hair, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. It works yeah, for I mechanism. Can, yeah, I can hide my thumb tips in my beard and just take it out when I want it and stuff. It works great. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I have to go back to the baby book thing, because actually I remember when I was watching that... Uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. I wrote down every word everybody said and sat there for three hours trying to figure out what the code was and couldn't figure it out to save my life, which I think is another great that even if Penn and Teller had been given time, you would still be screwed trying to like work yeah. it out. Such a clever idea. And I would love to see someone go on with a coded trick and use the method Penn says where it just takes like 17 years to learn off the code and just hope to God it doesn't mess up on the day. It would, it would be ballsy to do it, but it'd be great. Yeah, uh, I'd love it. If somebody just memorized the entire book and just a book test where they literally knew it all, you know, photographic memory time, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would have to fool them. Because <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Who's going to guess? Or will you actually just do it for real? Like? <laughs> yeah, too right, too right. I mean, I've got, I've got the baby book. I've got a lot to thank with um, Stephen Young because. The actual um, the the key method to it is something based on uh, that he released, um, and then uh, me and me and Steve we talked about it, and I always said it should be a book, and he had it as a card thing, a card mm -hmm. trick, and um, he was like, "I'm not interested in doing a book. If you want to do a book, you can do it as a book." Um, so I, I I made it basically mm -hmm. into a book, and it was it was inspired by my daughter Eleanor, um, and she was one. In fact, the, the book I use when I'm gigging actually has her teeth marks still in the top of it when she was one, when she chewed it to dip bits. Um, and, and so that's where it sort of originated from. So while, while the trophy is very nice to have and it's nice to have all the accolades, uh, Stephen Young definitely deserves 
it almost as much as me, you know, I was just presenting it as, you know, it was, yes, it was something I'd built and made, but it's definitely his method. So uh, he deserves the credit as much as I do, really. When we get together again, when we finally kind of Blackpool, um, we're going to get a photo of the two of us together with a trophy because I think that'd be very cool. <laughs> if I could take him to Vegas with me, I would. I think the wife, I'd rather take her. <laughs> It'll, it's a toss-up, like, which one are you going to do? Yeah. I, I, I think which one will be more disappointed is what will really clinch that. <laughs> you wait, so who I'm going to add to living with afterwards that worries me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that long-term thinking is very important. Uh, but for a lot of us, when we uh, it all started somewhere, where for you did you first like get into magic? What was your process like? So mine's the cliche story of a grandpa grandfather pulling a sort of coin out of my ear uh, and then you know disappearing it and that kind of thing. Um, whereas and then pulled out those magic sets when I was six, seven. I had a little magic kit that my dad made. He made a box down the magic set in there. I used to be really sad down the scrapbook of all Paul Daniels stuff. Um, I was obsessed with Paul Daniels and um, and anything to do with magic. Like a lot of magicians are, they just absorb everything. Um, and that's what I did, you know. Uh, and then eventually you sort of like, you discover girls and other things that are more interesting. <laughs> Left magic for a little while. I still had a mild interest in it, but then David Blaine came back on the scene and um, and I remembered how much I loved it. And then that happened the same week. Uh, that, that happened. Um, I, we discovered a magic circle in Grimsby, um, which was great. Um, and then uh, the other thing, we found a magic shop in Grimsby too, which was really, really good. So all those things together combined um, really got my love back into it. I remember the first time I went to our local magic club, um, Etienne Pradier was the lecturer. <laughs> I mean, talk about a way to intro into, uh, into magic. I remember yeah. the first yeah. time he did... Um, it is thing where did a bill switch? And you know what Etienne's like? He just said, uh, name any currency and it's there. And I remember sitting back going, wow, I've just seen real magic for the first time. I was totally blown away by it. It really sort of messed with my head. And uh, so those sort of like things combined really got the love back into it. Um, and I've been doing it ever since, really. Um, and I've been professional for about 12 years now. Uh, this is literally all I do. I don't do anything else. It's like I perform when I can and I build props for <laughs> magicians, you know. So that's it now. No other real job. That's great. Do you remember what the first one you created was when you went from like just doing the Paul Daniel sets and what you were learning from books and stuff like that? Yeah. The first trick I ever created was a trick called Apparition. Um, and I don't think hardly anybody's seen it. I saw used to sell it on eBay. Um a long, 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 long time ago, uh, before I was professional, actually, uh, it was one of those things I created while I was just a hobbyist, really. And what it was, it was um, you think, right, okay, so you've got somebody to choose a card. Choose a card. Um, <laughs> and then the, it was shuffled into the deck. The deck was placed into a bag, like a paper bag. You wrapped it up in the paper bag, and then basically what you did is you um, – you took a pencil and you rubbed across. You know, like the old brass rubbing thing you did as a kid. Yeah. You basically did that on the back of the cards. And the image of the card that they were thinking of would come out on the bag. And then you could take the cards out and you would open it and you'd go through them and the card would be in the middle. And it's their card. That was basically the trick. Uh, and everything was examinable, which was even better. And I used to sell that for quite a while on eBay. And uh, and then some French guy bought it, some French musician, and uh, nicked it and released it as something else. So well, there you go. That was my first uh, first thought into, you know, magic produced production. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's I still the other day, actually. One popped up. I still had one knocking around. I, didn't, I can't remember. It's literally really bad as well. It's like computer graphics and it's <laughs> shocking. But, you know, but that was my first ever trick, yeah. Yeah, it's mad. And it's, it's mad. The first one was the one that gets ripped off then in the end. And it's like, well, this yeah. is what happens. It, it didn't stop me making more. So, you know. Yeah. There's so much of that in, in the industry, though, John, people ripping off like an idea. I mean, I know we all kind of take different ideas from different things and stuff, but but uh, but like genuinely just ripping stuff off. I even saw something, a new release that only came out very recently and, uh, and people giving out about that. It's an old idea and it's somebody else's idea and all this kind of... I'm sure, like, do you find it hard that when you come up with an original idea as, like, a lot of creatives in, in Magic, are you kind of, like, trying to work out has it been done or has something similar been done to make it, make sure that it's I, you're not touching on anyone? For me, 
I tend to just assume it's probably already been done. Um, Because these days, I don't, unless you're doing modern technology that wasn't around in them days, the chances are it's probably in a book from the 1920s or 30s. And so, especially if it's just card or some wood or something, you know, um, it'll have been done by somebody. Somebody will come up with it. Uh, Even my icon, uh, while I came up with it, creativity, you know, on my own, um, I found out only last year that the method itself was used something it wasn't it wasn't done for lottery it wasn't done in the same scale but the method was used by somebody else i can't remember what his name was now uh, i also written it down um but it was there was a variation of it to use a similar sort of thing you know so it doesn't surprise me you know yeah. uh, even yeah. the baby book um while it's Stephen young's method steve um it's based on something else that Stephen saw that's further around. You know, as long as the crediting is done, I think yeah. that's, you know, um, I don't have a problem with that. You know, as long as they make it their own, as long as, as long as there's enough of a difference, I think that's the key. Because a lot of the time with these things, um, somebody will just like, oh, I'll, I'll have a double lift in there. Now it's mine. No, it's not. Or I'll change the colour of the deck. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make it new. It has to be, a significant difference, you know, whether it be a new effect but using the same principle, that's fine, you know, as long as it looks completely different and the and the routine's different, not really got an issue with it, you know. Like I say, there's nothing new these days in magic, not really. Yeah, very true. There's only, there's only so many. Uh, yeah. Do you have any recommendations for people who want to like? if they have something and they want to do crediting of resources or places to go to actually find out, so that you know in advance where it's they, from. Um, the, well, they always say um, Max Maven is a great one to go for if you've got a chance to talk to Max um, because he's very, very knowledgeable. They also say Ask Alexander, and there's also a website for it. I can't remember what it is now, uh, where you can look down. Uh, the, the problem is it's describing what you're doing that ties in with somebody else. You're better to really find somebody you trust, but yeah. that's the key, <laughs> find somebody you trust. Um, I have a, a small, very small select people that, um, that I trust when I'm working on something to show, you know, if I'm showing something. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm very close friends with uh, Kieran Johnson, who's an amazing mind when it comes to magic. That guy knows so much. Um, and what he's, what he's forgotten is just, you know, not worth thinking about the amount he's got in his head. And then I've got Luca Vope who's brilliant when it comes to mentalism. He's like a font of all knowledge. I'm working with him on a couple of different projects at the moment. Um, so he's really good. Um, I've got um, Tom Wright, who um, who knows a little bit, not as much as the rest of the guys, but if it's something like thread work, then Tom's your man. You know, I mean, he's just brought out um, with John Randa uh, a new reel, which is just phenomenal. Um, Gravity, if you haven't seen it, check out the trailer because it is stunning. Uh, so I have I have a, a few sort of people that I would always talk to um, and get advice from, you know. Yeah, definitely. That, that's the way to go. It really is. Yeah, that new reel looks incredible. It looks like it, it, I've never seen a reel to do anything like what it does. Incredible. Yeah, we filmed part of that in uh, my mother-in-law's uh, tea room because it was the only thing we could get to during COVID. There was no venues open. He's like, I need a floor and I need a long one. So uh, the, I think it's not on the trailer, but it's on. It's on one of the additional things on YouTube where it's. Um, I think it's uh, Exorcist Two. He, he demonstrates on it, and it's like a blue room. Well, that's actually my mother-in-law's tea room because um, <laughs> <laughs> it was the only place we could do it. Um, and it is stunning. The things that thing can do is just incredible. Um, if if somebody wants something that can do um, more thread stuff than anybody anything else I've seen, that's probably the one. It really is that good, you know. So many people are, are afraid of using thread, and maybe this might get over that those hurdles for some people. Yeah, the the, the actual thread that comes with it is really strong, um, and the beauty of it is is the tension. It, because you control the tension on the reel, um, it's it's really got the ability to strong. The only way you could break that thread really is if you put it on the fastest speed, which is a ten. Um, when it reels back so fast that you might break it then, but. Apart, you know, any other speed up to that, you wouldn't. You know, certainly the speed you'd actually do it with, you've got no chance. You know, yeah, it's it's a really good thing. Unless you try to move something too heavy, like a car, <laughs> just attach it to a car, take off the handbrake. Yeah, it might not work with a car. 
I'll move it. Trust me, I can do this. It'll, it'll, it'll work. <laughs> you might need two reels for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I so. At least two reels and David Copperfield. <laughs> yes, quite possibly. <laughs> One of the things I think we always, uh, I've definitely come into when you're coming up with stuff, even just jamming, and you think, oh, this is a great idea. Come up in your own head. You think it's wonderful. Then you go and perform it, and people know exactly how it's done immediately. <laughs> Have you ever like run into those sort of things where you think it's a really clever idea and it turns out it's just obvious? Yeah, usually that's usually one of those conversations I'll have with Karen. I'll probably go, I've got this idea for something. What do you think to this? And he'll be like, da, 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 da. and he'll go, yeah, that's in such and such a book. And I'll be like, right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> so, it's, yeah, but again, you just have to sort of like, that's where you, your circle of friends come in, you know. And if you don't, if you don't have anybody because you're quite new to it, reach out to the people um you know that you can trust i mean i have some people message me a lot of the time um and they'll be like what do you think to this and that if it's something similar to something i've seen before then i'll i'll just say well have a look at this talk to this person see if it's the same you know i mean i, I must admit i'm probably out of the loop a lot now because about i would say what two and a half to three years ago i stopped um looking at the new products so I just stopped everything because what I found is it stopped me being creative. What what I was finding mm. I was doing, it was then when I was, I was creating something, I was always being influenced by what I'd seen, the latest thing out. So I just stopped watching everything. Um, I occasionally watch um, the Prop Dog show they do on Friday uh, just for the laughs really more than anything. Um, I, occasionally I'll stumble upon the uh, Wizard Product Review. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts like yours. I do listen to a lot of those. Um, I find they're more interested because you get to hear more about the theory of things a lot of the time. Um, so for me, that's, that's more important than, than the tricks really, you know? Um, so I tend to listen to that a lot more and it stops me, you know, just copying somebody else, you know? So I come up with something that's original to me. And if it's not original to me, at least I've not been influenced by anyone, you know? Yeah. Do, do you think of a, process that you go through john i'm not saying like like candles and go for a bubble bath but like do you have a process of how to get into your creative yeah. zone uh, yeah what well, i do is i get candles all around the bath and pull loads of bubble bath <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> funny enough um bath, cards and you know flash paper the, the, the cards get really wet in the bath it's terrible yeah, um, yeah. They're, no good. <laughs> they're no good afterwards it's true um uh, yeah i do actually yeah if i'm if i'm if i've got an idea for an effect what I'll do is I will sit back, close my eyes, and I imagine that I'm watching somebody perform it, use Young Foolers or Britain's Got Talent. And I literally picture it in my head and I picture them performing it. And then basically I rip that imaginary person off and make it myself. That's basically <laughs> what my method is. Um, and it's, it's a really good way to do it because when you think about it, if you go into a magic convention and you see somebody sat there on a stand and they're doing their trick, the first thing that goes in your head is how's it done? Right, it could be this, because you're trying to weigh up to buy it, whether or not to buy it or not. Um, and every magician does it, whether we should or not, we do. Um, we all, we're all sort of like junkies for knowing a secret or learning a secret or, or trying to figure it out. Whereas for us, I think the problem as a magician, occasionally you'll get an act where you see something and you go, wow, that's magic. Like um, Eric Chen's act, for example, is stunning. And the other guy with the sand where he makes the sand ring, Holy smokes, that's like real magic. That them yeah, guys yeah. are another level. But most of the time, if I'm if I'm sat on watching something on stage or even close up, it's very rare it fools me these days. You know, and and I think the problem is you look at it and you look at it as a puzzle. How's that done? And we all do it, don't we? As I think as magicians, you get warped. It's a it's a shame really because. Uh, we, it means we don't enjoy it sometimes as much. We enjoy the the skill that they've shown, and we sometimes the method. I mean, I remember I went to see a Darren Brown show, and um, and it's his, it was his latest one, and he does this brilliant thing. And um, what he does is there's one part of the show where he he gets somebody to um, invisible write on their hand, so they they got their eyes closed if I remember right, and they write with a pen on a on a piece of paper that's blank. They scrumple it up, put it in their pocket, and then uh, he pats for some time, and then he gets them to take the piece of paper out of the paper, the ball out of the paper, open it up, and hey, presto, the thing that they've written is the thing that's been predicted. And it's oh, genius. Wow. And I remember seeing that and just chuckling to myself. And everyone, and like, my wife's going, what are you laughing at? I'm like, oh, that was genius. Absolute <laughs> genius. 
And she's going, I don't get it. I'm like, I'll tell you later. Because I didn't want anyone else to hear around what he'd just done. I mean, I, I'm guessing you guys can probably figure out what he did. But um, it was just, the method was, what an amazing way to do a switch that's not a switch that's... I saw him do that on, uh, I think incredible. it was Ryan Seacrest on a talk show. He did it to Ryan Seacrest and uh, his co-host and he had her do it. And I remember watching it and my same, I was in bits just being, I love it. Because I always yeah, think... it's so simple, but brilliant. Yeah. I always think if someone tells me they want to be a magician, like at a gig, I usually get people being, oh, I love magic, I'd love to do it. I pick a secret that is the stupidest secret in the world and I'll tell them that one. And if they love it, they're probably going to be a magician. But if they think it's stupid, I'm like, then magic's not for you because it's a lot of stupid stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Yeah, I mean, for me, that was just just genius. So I like like a lot of things like that. But that's the problem. I think for us, a lot of time, it is just a puzzle. You know, and um, so when I'm when I'm watching something, I'm sort of like trying to work it out all the time. So for me, yeah, going back to the point, if I'm if I'm trying to work a thing out, I will imagine seeing somebody perform it on stage, and then basically I'll sit back and try and work out what they did to achieve what their goal was, and then I'll rip it off and make it, even though it's all in my head anyway. But it's a great way to do it because if you think about, you know, if you saw, let's say you, I don't know, let's say you wanted me to. I don't know, pull a rose out of my hand now. And I went like that and I pulled a rose straight out of my hand. You, you wouldn't go, wow, that was real magic. You'd go, right, how's he done it now? Okay, so obviously he's done, and you'd work it out. And you'd create that effect. And it's just because, you know, because you're trying to work out how I did it. And then all of a sudden you've got, an, you've got a trick you've created because you've ripped off this imaginary person that's just done this thing. It's a great way to do it. It really is. Yeah, it's true. What you say, I mean, like the kind of price you pay to be a professional magician is that you can't be a lay person anymore. You know, it's like you, that, that, and, and then your own skill level is kind of against you because, like you said, you'd see a trick and you'll have 10 ways of doing it and none of them might be right. Yeah, totally, totally. You know, but sometimes by coming up with, um, by seeing something, that it might be something that's really, really skillful and you think, I want to be able to do that, but you can't do it to their level. You know, they're using something like, massive sleight of hand that's just way beyond you you might come up with a method to do it that's that suits you that's yes you might use a gimmick or it might use some other method but you, you might come up with something original that's just so you can work it i mean a lot of people do that a lot of a lot of really well-known magicians will use a gimmick um because they can't do what they what they'd like to do or what they think you know what these other people can do you know, it always amazes me when you get somebody that's like really amazing at magic and he's like the, the king of sleight of hand and then they go and use a Sven pad or they'll, or they'll use a Svengali deck. And, you know, and everyone's like, oh my God, I never thought you'd all one way deck. You know, I've seen that done before. I've seen people that, that are like really amazing sleight of hand artists just fool the crap out of people with a one way deck. And you go, oh, because you don't expect them to use it. You know, yeah. I, I, I just think in my own set, um, all night I use a normal deck that can be shuffled, it's signed all the way through it, and one of the last tricks I use, I do at a wedding uses a one-way deck, and they never see it coming, you know, and it has a lot of subtleties built into it, and at the end of the deck, at the end of the routine, it's completely examinable as a normal deck because it has a switch in it too. But, um, you know... Think, uh, like, in, in I think is a good example of that. You see him on... America's Got Talent and he's doing his dream act and then he goes on like an Ellen chat show and he does French Kiss by Wayne Houchin and you're just like yeah, yeah once we all it's like me and Steve always say we, we learn all this new stuff and then we get to a gig and go same old shit same old shit ambitious Karen <laughs> here we go just like it's just what you do yeah it's, it's, it's funny you do that I, I mean it's, it's interesting I'm getting into because um, we're looking at opening up again now so I'm starting to sort of put all the things together for, for working again and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I really don't want to go back doing the same stuff I've done before. I will still do it hmm. because it's part of the reason I got booked in the first place, probably at a wedding fair or at another wedding. They're, you know, they've seen me do 20th Century Phantom. They've seen me do Stand Up Monty, that kind of thing. So yeah. I will do them, but I'm trying to put some new things in now. Again, that suits my character. Um, for me, I mean, the character is, is so important. I, it saves me an absolute fortune. Um, I mean, it, I, we can talk about character if you want to. Uh, it, I think yeah. certainly magicians, 
they could save themselves an absolute fortune if they knew who they were. Um, so my character, so I have a backstory in my character. Um, my backstory is uh, most of my stuff is what I class as mental magic. So I do mostly mentalism these days, a little bit of magic, probably about, I don't know, I'm probably 70% mentalism. I'm probably, I don't know, 10, 15% of it is like magic, magic. And then the rest of it's hypnosis. So I mix the, the three. But all of it, including the, including the magic part of it, is done as a, this is a psychological thing. I'm showing you why you shouldn't get, like Monty, for instance, three card Monty. It's a magic trick or it's a con. But I, I explain it in the thing. This is the psychology of the trick. This is why you shouldn't do it. This is what they're doing to you. And then I fall the pants off them by doing it. So everything is based on that character of, of being like, um, we're talking about psychology and, and that way things work. So that's how my character evolves. And I want them to have, the backstory of it is, is I want them to believe that I can do these things for real but I'm hiding that behind a, a facade of being a magician. That said, I would never ever say that I'm psychic because that goes against everything that I believe in. So, um, so I want them to make their own mind up. And if they say to me, oh, you're doing this for real, I'll deny the crap out of it. I really will. But, um, yeah. but, I won't, but that just usually strengthens it because if you say, no, I'm not, they usually believe it even more. So you can't win. Um, so for me, that's the backstory I've got with it. Uh, I think, and I, I talk to a lot of people about this, about developing who they are. And the easiest way to find out who you are as a as a magician, and when you, and this is what I'd say to everybody that I work with, if you want to know who you are, imagine that you're going on the illusionist. You've got the ultimate gig. You're about to go on the illusionist. Congratulations, you've got the gig. Now they're going to give you a name. So, like, they have the names like the trickster and they have the names like the escapologist and the magician and they'll have the mind reader and, you know, they'll have all these different weird and wonderful names for people. What name are you going to give yourself? Think about the act that you enjoy doing, the things you do most. What's your name? So, Steve, what's your character on the illusion? You've just got the gig. Congratulations. Put you on the spot now. What's your name? Think of your act. What's your name going to be? It would be an escapologist, but I would definitely add in some magic within that as well, within that kind of realm. So because, because yeah, that's great, because you already know who you are because of your escapology. So that would be, that's easy. So basically what I would do there is all the tricks you look at, you look at to um, to buy the or create that suit your character. So you're never going to use, like, you're never going to be buying silk flowers and you're never going to be buying, you know, these like weird and wonderful, you know, silks and all this crazy stuff. You're just not going to buy it. You're going to buy something that's probably a bit more gritty. You're going to buy stuff that fits that style of, a, of an escapologist, you know. And and because of that, everything you do that's, that's of that category is a million times stronger. And it also stops you buying you all the rubbish that you'll never perform that lives in your bottom drawer. It's, yep. Well, we did a thing the other night. Um, with our local society and it was like bring out the tricks that you've got in your bottom drawer and I, I looked I've got a box down there and most of it is full of little bits and bobs of trinkets and things that I found around the house that I've shoved in there I thought I might do something with that one day there's hardly any actual tricks in there because I don't buy stuff I've been to Blackpool the last few times and I hardly bought anything because Invariably, I've found these days with Blackpool is everybody's just selling their latest creation. Whereas mm. sometimes it'd be nice to go there and just see what was available, I don't know, 10 years ago. Because there's probably stuff in there that's gold that would suit my character. But I'm not interested in the latest deck that might look like, I don't know, you know, that does some weird and wonderful thing that looks like the top Trump's deck or something. It's not going to suit my character, so I'm probably not going to do it. You know, even the baby book for a while, to be honest, while I created it, I didn't work it for a while because the the book itself is brilliant and the methods sound. But why am I carrying a, a child's book around with me? Because everything else my character does wouldn't do that. So it's only because mm. of Eleanor that I put it in. And the baby book for me is always something that's in my case and I work it 
but it's something that's in there as like a secondary trick a lot of the time. You know, it, it's once I've got to know the table and they know who I am and we're getting a bit more, you know, oh, let's get to know the guy sort of behind the curtain kind of thing. That's when the baby book come out. I wouldn't yeah. open it. Not at all. It's, it's, it's funny. funny. Just recently, we we've had a we've had a baby as of my partner, and um, he's two months old now. And the other night, I was doing a night feed, and I was trying to do like a link and ring with two <laughs> with two suitors just to see what it work, and and it did. And you know, and it is something that you could kind of throw in as a as a thing now. You're like you you, you know because it, it would fit. It makes sense to to really who you are because you I suppose you're showing the audience who you really are. It's not just a character or persona. It's kind of who you really are at home, or you can see that yeah, in like yeah. um. Like magic for humans, you know, he's showing his real life, but he's also showing he's a magician. Absolutely, and I think I think the audience is particularly lap that up. They want to see a little bit about the person behind the character, because yeah. we, we, as magicians, even if we always say, "Oh, we're you know extension of ourselves" and all that kind of old cliche, yes, we are an extension of ourselves, but we still play a character of sorts. You know, I mean, I know so many magicians and you talk to them and they're dead normal and then the moment they put a card trick, all of a sudden they change to this crazy person. They're all, you know, and they switch on almost. And it's like somebody flick, literally flicks a switch and they're like in performance. Yeah. You, you, know. you couldn't be a magician 24-7, like you coming out and making a slice of toast and throwing flash paper all over the fucking kitchen. You're like, it's not... It's, it's, it's it's <laughs> you start edging away from that person when they start acting like that. You're like, oh, this is a really nice person. Then they switch goes, and you're like, I'm oh, I'm in call. I gotta go because yeah, yeah. my character is a, a bit similar to yours because it's around the like. I always there's something I've been doing a lot over lockdown is trying to get my close up persona and stage persona closer aligned because on stage I 100 percent do mentalism and I'm doing magic. But then close up, I do mentalism, but I do some carrot stuff in there as well. And it's like, I'm obsessed with, like, for me, I watch like the real hustle with Paul Wilson and stuff like on repeat. So I'm obsessed. And like, anytime I talk to my friends, I'm always talking about like street scams and hustles and stuff like that. So that kind of like developed into my character is that if I'm doing magic, it has to be explained through a con. And then the mentalism is explained by looking at psychics and seeing that they're the real con. And that's where that all comes into. And that's why I called my last show before lockdown. It's, the show was called Am I Psychic? And my yeah. opening line of the show was, no. <laughs> and then the <laughs> that's, that's genius. Yeah, absolutely great. And again, you know who you are. But there are so many, so many magicians out there that don't, you know. The, the first part, John, was half the audience were people who are into psychics. So they were yeah. like, he's not a psychic. What the fuck? We want our money back. <laughs> so, so many tickets. Yeah. It was unreal. Just put the word psychic on your poster and you double your ticket sales like that. It was yeah, great. I think they're really disappointed, don't they? Yeah. It's funny. Because I said, uh, no, but could can could you tell if I... Can, can you tell the difference, basically, was like the whole idea of the show. But it's like the... Uh, I recently picked up things... Like My other hobby is movies. Like I love movies. And I got picked up the movie night of Alakazam recently... So it's in the post soon because having top trumps of movies would be something that I'd actually have because yeah, because that's your character, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah. totally, so totally we, get that. I think, I think the other thing, the celebrities are always important as well because I think every the world's obsessed with celebrities. So movies, celebrities, all that kind of thing is an interest to other people. So if you can pull that into your act, I think that's quite a good thing as long as it suits your character. Again, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. And I have this with um, with Tom Wright again because we, we we live literally ten minutes away from each other, so we jam a lot. Uh, well, we normally do anyway. We don't at the moment. Occasionally, we sit in the car about two meters away from each other. Me neither in my mind, and we have a subway <laughs> together over the car park. Um, that's how we what we've been doing over lockdown. Um, but he he knows his character, and well, Tom's character is the trickster. So when he performs, he performs as like. Um, everything's like it's like wide boy but he's he's really funny wacky um there's a lot of traditional magic but in a really new way um and he and he really knows his character because of it and again as a result of that um he he doesn't waste money on stuff that's not him you know we, we we've talked about this a lot um and i've talked like i say i've talked to quite a few magicians that have been starting out and they're trying to figure out what who they are and what they should do and I really recommend that. 
give yourself like a name. Imagine you're on the on that sort of show and you give yourself a title and then what would that person do? You know, it, it, you'll save yourself an absolute fortune on magic tricks. You really will. You won't have that drawer full of random stuff. It always makes me laugh when you go, what's in your, what's in your magic bottom drawer? And they go, oh, well, I've got like an appearing cane and, and candles that light themselves. And I'm like, right, and what do you do? Oh, well, um, I'm, I'm like a mentalist. I'm like, why have you got appearing canes then? What, what was that about? You know what I mean? And it's like, hmm, okay. You obviously got suckered in at Blackpool and you just money was burning a hole in your pocket and you just went, just buy it. You know, or, or it's, it always makes me laugh the first time people go to Blackpool, how many fire products they buy. You know, yeah, anything that floats and it, like a floating table, God, if you've got the money, buy one of them. Yeah, you won't use it because you'll be too scared to put anything on it, but buy one because it's brilliant. <laughs> Unless you're on stage, in which case you might use it. Um, and then anything that sets anything else on fire. <laughs> I, I literally I really feel like you're reading my mind now, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've got yeah. a, the stand-up Monty's routine actually I've wanted to perform for so long. And I keep learning it and then not having a chance to perform it and forgetting all the moves. And I've since lockdown began, I've learned stand-up Monty four times. And I've still... If you handed me the cards, I could not do the trick to save my life because it's like you have to get into muscle memory by actually just getting out there and doing it. But otherwise, it's like two weeks later, I'm like, what do I do them in the pocket? I, I don't know. It's it's done now. But See, I do stand-up Monty different to everybody else. I do stand-up Monty on the table like a traditional Monty. Um, yeah. and, the, and the cards are actually in my, um, in my trouser pocket. So, and it's funny you say that because halfway through lockdown – we were going to do something on Zoom for somebody. And I was like, oh, right, I'll do, I'll do Stand Up Monty. Got the cards out, couldn't remember the routine. Yeah. And I've done it literally thousands of times. And I'm, I'm, my wife and me were sat there and going, I got this far, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know I say something at this point, what do I say? And it was only the pattern that might, reminded me what it is I did. And, of course, it wouldn't help with the DVD because I've changed it. So that wouldn't help either. So I literally had to sort of like work it through. And after about an hour, we got it back to where it was. And I literally filmed it there and then so I can watch myself back doing it now with all the patter. And now, now I'm not doing it. We, tried, we ended up rummaging through all the um, sort of old film video, video films and stuff to see if I had me at a wedding fair doing it. And I didn't. And I thought, oh, why have I not got that? So, uh, yeah, it's one of those routines you have to deliciously just regularly do it, I think, you know. But it's we, had, uh, we had Oz Berman yeah. and we were talking about Born to Perform, that, that DVD that he released really early on in his career. And he was in, the, we were saying, oh, the Biddle trick is such a good trick. And uh, and we were praising it and talking about it or whatever. And then afterwards, the podcast was like, oh, I'll do the Biddle trick. Just I had that card in my hand or whatever. And I was just playing around. I was like, what's that bit in the middle? I was like, what, what the fuck? how do I not notice? You know, it was just, and then I was like, I'm not putting on the DVD. I'm not putting it on. I'm not, you know, so, I'm trying to figure it back out again. It's work it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't get the better of me, yeah. yeah I think yeah. it's, it's weird, with performance in your character as well is always to have somebody else as vice because what you think you are and what you actually are are very different things because for me, for years, I was like, I'm a dark, mysterious, Luke Jermay style performer and then, I was only when I talked to like my wife, and she was like, "You're really like funny and kind of camp on stage." And I was like, "Yeah, I am." So I guess yeah. back out the window. Every mentalist wants to be Luke Jermaine, don't they? They all want to be this like really sort of spooky kind of, I don't know, mysterious kind of guy. And that seems to be when you first get into mentalism. That's what everybody thinks they should be. You know, even Darren Brown said the first time he started out, he thought he should have like a, a hump and a, and a cape and stuff and maybe have an eye patch or something. It's like, what's going on? You know, and then you realise that actually, no, that's probably not you. You know, it's one or two people, I'm sure, but probably not many. You know, mm -hmm. even Luke's evolved over the years. I mean, when, when I first met Luke years and years ago, he was very much on the, um, he was a mentalist. And he was doing like, you know, standard mentalist things and he was slowly moving into more and more of the Q&A thing and now he's gone full on where he's like it's all like a Q&A so it's all spiritual thing almost with him now he's evolved you know into a whole different character he always said um because we we talked I did a workshop with him on character at one point um that I was lucky enough to attend and he said at the time that his character was 
um, like an oracle or um, sort of, you know, um, a seer kind of thing, which is where he wanted to be. And you can see how his character's evolved until he's got to that point where he's happy with what he wants to do. You know, um, and again, I mean, that guy really knows what his character is and where his character wants to evolve into as well. You know, I mean, he had this thing um, where his character was a bit arsy and he said that, you know, my character on, on stage is a bit arrogant and um, and and they're sort of like, they feel like they're above everybody else. And that's a brave thing to do, but it worked for him. And he knew how to, he, he's such a skillful performer that he knew how to take the beats and give people the opportunity to laugh or clap. I know he's very interested in silence and, um, and giving them, you know, he doesn't want the applause until he's ready for it. You know, things like that are interesting. I always find um, that trying to get um, a reaction from people, applause isn't always the best thing. And you'll find, especially with the mentalism, if you do mentalism, Sometimes a gasp is better than than like a round of applause. It yeah. really is. I'd much have somebody just totally stumped, stumped and just like almost like just don't know what to do with themselves than them just go straight like this, you know. Um, that for me, that's stronger yeah. sometimes. Most of my, most of the pictures where I'm trying to find um, photos for my website, everybody's got their mouth open in awe. And it's like, it, my wife's like, why have they all got their mouths open? Why is everyone not like this or just laughing, you know? So it's, um, yeah, it, that for me, that's more important. And I think people like him really have um, developed and know who they are. You know, that's what I really sort of people should, I recommend people do. Find out who you are. I think you can boil that kind of down to like, I'm, I'm a big horror fanatic and I, I produced and directed some as well, some short movies and things like that over the years. And I've always had an interest in it. Um, and I think you can do the same thing in, in horror movies where you can have the, you know, the, the scream type movie where you've got the slasher running after you and it's an instant thing. You're going to be scared there and then. Or, there, or later on, you've got that psychological one that when you're driving home or the next time you're in a room and it's a dark or whatever, it's when that thing plays in your mind. And I think yeah. a good mentalist can do that. He's, he doesn't want the applause. He wants you to go home, really, really think about this or it'll play on your mind later on. If I had done this, what if I had done this? So you might not applaud. And I think, I suppose if you were just kind of starting off in mentalism, you think you've done a bad show. But in the reality, if they're overthinking it and thinking about it after the fact, you're, you're kind of going home with them in their mind. And that's going to that's gonna build your character even further and you know, further afield with them. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I go out, I don't go out as a comedy magician or a mentalist. Never have. Um some people do that really well. Uh, John Archer, for example, is brilliant. For me, yeah. I can't. I'm, I'm terrible at telling jokes. If I try and tell a joke, I come over as the classic my dad telling jokes. Really do. It's just not good. Um, but what I am good at doing is is bouncing off what the audience say. So, for instance, when I do a stage thing, I do a stage piece called the Guilty Secret Society, and it's essentially um, a sneak thief routine. Uh, they all have they all have like an A4 board. I use phone boards for this, and I get them all to write down a guilty secret. And I explain that it's a game that we used to play at Christmas time, where everybody around the table would write down a guilty secret of something from that year and throw it in a bowl, and we mix them all up. And you have to guess whose guilty secret is who. Now that sounds like a legit game that somebody might play as a party game. So I say we're going to play this game, and I have five people write down these boards. They come to the front. They all get mixed up. Um, and I get, I get the four or five people to stand up in the audience and we read the first one out and everybody plays the game in the audience. I have to guess who it might be. And it's really interesting. And because I've told them to write something funny, even if it's not necessarily true, oh, man, do you get some comedy out of that? I had one guy that wrote down that he was in a porno. You know, so I, I found instantly went back. And, of course, I, can, I know who it is because of the method. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, to be honest, I know it's you. That was easy. I've seen that film. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? And there was another lady that, um, that wrote that she had a fairy on the on her backside. And again, you can bounce off things like that. So for me, the audience make the, the jokes and then I just make them funnier. So mm. that way you don't have to go out as, look at me, I'm a comedy magician, but you're still funny and you're still entertaining because of it. You know, I have a few lines in my Monty routine and they've only come about purely from the million times I've done it and people have said stuff that's funny. And so I've sort of used that line and you try and recreate it. It's very much like um, Darren when he ha he does a trick and um, 
and somebody writes, why are you a cock? And that's in every single night. But yeah. it's there because it's really funny. And it maybe happened the first night. And he thought, oh, that's gold. He got such a good laugh that he's created it every single time. Why not? Yeah. You know, and, and people like things where they think something's happened. We did a show, um, a showcase, myself, Tom Wright, uh, Aaron Jones, and another guy called Steve Greenwood and, and Dave Burns in our local town. And we did it. We only were going to supposed to do it one night. It ended up doing like about seven nights, this thing. And we had one night, you know, the old thing with the chairs where you put the chairs around and you get everyone to sit on their laps of each other, laid back, and then you remove all the chairs, right? Well, Aaron was doing that trick and he got halfway through it with the chairs out. Uh, with, no, we just about to pull the chairs out and we realised he'd done the chairs the wrong way around. So he couldn't get the chairs out from them. So we had to, uh, and we were like, what are you doing, you idiot? And we had to take him out and then redo it. And he got such a round of applause and a laugh that we tried to recreate it the next night. Couldn't do it. It just, it didn't have the same vibe as the fact he just did it just impromptu. It just, you know, had a brain fart and got it wrong, you know. <laughs> uh, but we really tried to put that in and really tried to recreate it a few nights because the vibe we got from it and the laughter that came from it, you know, it had that kind of comedy club kind of impromptu feel to it. Like something had gone wrong when it shouldn't have done. People like that, mm-hmm. I think, you know. Um, so I'm all for creating bits and pieces like that. I think that really, really works. And again, it, like we were saying with the character, it, it shows a little bit of humanity of who you are. You know, um, like, oh, this, we were really lucky that night. That was the night that happened, despite they don't really happens every night, you know. It's a great yeah. So, Oh, like, yeah. At the, at the last point, you it's like nobody's paying attention to what you're looking at or... Uh, if you want to get a one ahead showing a gag, <laughs> it's like yeah. they work so well. But speaking of performances, we have a segment on the show called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, where we asked the person to come up with a performance story that started off maybe OK and just went downhill pretty drastically from there. Does any stories spring to mind? Oh, God, I've got I've got a really horrific story. Um, <laughs> I need popcorn I um, I've, I've got okay, so I'll, I'll tell you a quite a simple one. Um, and this was um, this was a learning curve for me. I picked. We had this thing where well, I was doing my icon trick actually, and Micon normally slays every single night. And we were in Sheffield, and we were doing this show. And for some reason, I picked this guy, and I don't know why I picked him at the start of the show, but I did. And we went backwards and forwards with him uh, with this thing, and eventually he um, he loses some money, but. Uh, he wins a lottery ticket, and the lottery ticket is going to be the final payoff at the end. And I think he must have been drinking or what, I don't know. But we don't know. We go through all this thing. Don't know, we've got all these things. And these six numbers, these six numbers, they seem like random, but they're not. What's in your envelope? And you just open the envelope, yeah, it's a lottery ticket. I just flattened the whole night. And it was like, wow, you just killed that moment. And, and you know when you just think, why did I pick that spectator? Of all the people to pick, I should have picked this woman down here who was like dead excited. And so that was a learning curve. But the really, if you want a really horrific story, oh, this, here it is. This, is, this is my horrific one. <laughs> so I did a wedding. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. I did a wedding. Um, it must have been about eight years ago. And um, I used to do this thing where I would say to somebody, I want you to think of somebody that's, uh, think of somebody that's, close, that's special to you, but not here today, as in not in the room today. You still get the odd one where it's like they'll pick granddad who's died or whatever, but you can you can get around that. Mm. And it was I was doing this wedding, and the bride said to me, "My sister's a bit of a skeptic. She doesn't believe anything. Show us something." So I right, okay, think somebody that's not here today. Write it down. So they write it down. You do the usual things. Get the information you need. Find a way. I won't go into the method that I used, but I knew what it was. And so I'm like, okay, think of this person, get them in your mind. She's like, you'll never get it, you'll never get it, you'll never get it. Nobody knows who it is, you'll never get it. I write down Ellie Mae on this card. Turn it around to her, she starts bawling her eyes out, like full-on meltdown, tears, the whole lot. And I'm like, uh-oh, what have I done? So, and now I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking, what? who is Ellie Mae? What's going on? What's gone wrong? Bride comes over to her. Bride talks to her. Now the bride's in tears. So to everybody at this wedding, I've just made the sister of the bride ball her eyes out, and now I've got this bride ball her eyes out, and they're both looking at me. And I'm like, it's like I've just, I don't know, said something really bad. So I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. So I, I think I'm going to have to ask you. 
exactly. Yeah, I don't be paid either. So I go over to him and I'm like, "What? What's wrong? You know, did I get it wrong? What? 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 You know, I, I know I haven't got it wrong. So I'm like, oh, you know, but I'm playing it cool. And the sister said to me, and I can't believe she did this. The the person she'd written down was the, the name of a stillborn baby she'd not told anybody she'd had two weeks ago, two weeks before the wedding. Why would you write that down? Why would you choose that name? I don't know. And then she thanked me because it was the first time she'd been able to, like, it brought it all to a head for her. And the first time she'd actually come to terms with it. And she came to terms with it there and then at that wedding in front of me. And um, I was like, okay. And then she said, can you give it a message for me? Because oh, now no. she thinks I'm psychic and I can give it, I can talk to the dead. So I'm like, no, 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 magic trick, magic trick, magic trick. Not going to, you know, can't do that, can't do that. Um, and I, I remember I had to go sit, I sat behind the DJ booth. It's the only time, I don't normally drink. And I literally sat there with a whiskey shaking like this, trying to get my nerves together to go back out there. It was horrific. So that's that's probably the worst story I've had. Uh, I've had some lovely ones um, and I've had some funny ones, but that's that's the ugly and the bad. <laughs> you never want that. And I changed the way I wrote. I say it after that. Now I tend to do, um, think of the first pet you had when you were little. Um, but, you know, you occasionally get the old buddy that's got one over or whatever, but that doesn't really matter so much. They get over that. They remember it with fond memories. You know, um, I don't. Oh, I do the first kiss or the first crush. That always goes down well. Um, and interestingly, if ever you do this, uh, if you do the first, if you do the first person you ever had a crush on when they were li- when they were little, bear in mind when they're little and they've got a crush, they're usually about strangely enough between seven and about fifteen. Um, you'll find it's the same names, not with a guy. If you go with a guy, it's never the same names. You always get the odd one that, you know, Sam Fox and all them from them days, you know, or, or sort of, you know, Katie Price or something. But but with a lady, it's often the same people. If you perform it over and over again, for instance, if you pick a lady that's in her, I don't know, late 50s, early 60s, she'll go, guaranteed, for Donny Osmond, David Essex, or um, David Cassidy. They seem to be the only three heartthrobs of that era. So, and it's nearly always Donny, always Donny Osmond. Nearly always. I don't know why, but it is. So you got to get you got to get three way out. Three way out. You're like, oh shit, Danny. That, yeah, you could do a three way out with it. You literally could. You know, if they're <laughs> of that age, it's it's frightening. And it and, and, you know, um, Leonardo DiCaprio pops up a lot. David Beckham obviously pops up a lot. You know, um, and then the ones you think that might, like Robbie Williams, not at all. Doesn't come up, you know. You, it's you know, it's like, getting Robbie Williams tattooed on my arm now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really strange. I actually, at one point, I started keeping a tally of it of what the different names were, depending on the age groups, because there is a definite pattern there, but only with women, not with guys. Guys just seem to go for anything. We just don't care. I don't know what it is. <laughs> You know. I had that with I had that with a drawing dupe for a while. I was doing like college shows and stuff, and I was just like, just draw a, like a symbol or a shape or, or whatever, like a dollar sign or whatever. And I was getting people drawing yin yang symbols constantly. Mm, that's a weird thing. Yeah, just one. Of those it's things. like when you when you do coinvex. If you say to them, draw a picture on the coin, most of the time they'll draw a smiley face because it's round. That psychologically they see the smiley facing. If it's a guy, he'll probably draw a penis because um, he thinks he's funny. Um, well, most oh, I thought he will draw. Um, he often draws a stick man. A woman will often draw a heart. So if they don't draw the smiley face, it's probably going to be one of those other two, you know. Yeah. Um, and he, these little things, again, just by performing it a lot of time, all of a sudden you start thinking, "Oh, what else can I do with that? Surely I could have that predicted somewhere, you know." Or you'd put it into your patter, you know, and talk about it. I do that a lot. I do. Um, I use Inside Out Cube a lot, My, and that's colored. It's based on colors. Um, and I use it as an opener. And I found that um, if somebody goes for um, blue and then they go green, I'll go, I already know what you're going to do next. And I'll literally write down white on a business card and place it down. I'll go, that's what you're going to choose next. Choose a card. And I would say probably about 70% of the time, maybe more, they go white. And if they don't, I actually, I'll, let me change my mind. I'll just change it. But it's then moments when you don't have to and they write down white and you go, have a look. 
and they pick white. Wow, it's so strong. It's it's so much stronger than anything else. It really is. Yeah. And it's just again, it's by performing it a million times. It's, it's probably it's probably in the way you like. I just have your eyes on the same myself. I'm saying you draw a symbol or a shape or a dollar sign or whatever. Mm. So symbol, you you would maybe think of a symbol, and in that sense, so it is probably in the wording. You're probably not even aware that you're saying it a certain way yeah. to make them do a certain thing. But it, it is true. Like when you you do something more and more and more, it, you know, it does kind of come back and kind of repeat itself a lot. And I suppose we all kind of think that everyone is very unique in their own way, and everyone thinks that they're unique. But we're all yeah. so similar. No. We all kind of jump into the same. Yeah, hundred percent. We're all. We're all you can similar. always do. Um, with like a bit. If you have a stack of business cards, you're going to do a drawing duplication, or something. You could have like a smiley face on the top, or a house on the top, and a tree on the bottom. Should be think of a shape. It's not a house or a tree, is it? And if they say, "Oh, it's a tree," you show the bottom. Say it's a house, you show the top. If not, cool. Just take one of any of these cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You really could, and it's and that moment you hit is is amazingly strong. I, yeah. and there was a, there's a guy I know. Um, I put shout out to Dan Vokes, who's in um, who's based in Hull. And I remember I was I was I coached Dan when he was first time out, and I sort of taught him the the ropes really. And there was one time we were sat in um in a Witherspoon somewhere, and we were having dinner, and he went for he went for a drink, and I literally just took a random card, turned it around, shoved it in the deck, and just put it back on the on the table. And when he came down, back, I was name any card. And he's like, he just named, he happened to name the card I turned around, and I went name any number, and he named it, and he literally he, he nailed it, and I could never replicate that in a million years, and uh, to this day I'm not sure if he ever knew that I just literally guessed it, and I sent him out to release, but I'm not sure if I'm bringing it out yet, and he was like, please tell me, please tell me, I was like, no, no, not yet, not yet, you know, and, you like, freak yeah, out. they happened one of those moments. It happened to me once and I lost my shit. I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's where legends start, don't they? When you do things like that, you know, um, I, I, I'm all for sort of making the most of those if you can, especially if you see, like I say, if you see patterns evolving, if you can recreate that, then it's just genius. It really is. Yeah. We, we, we had actually, when the podcast came about, it was myself and Dave out of boredom at the start, just like ringing up each other. And like holding cards, like what card am I holding? Whatever. That's literally how this started. And then we're like, we better start interviewing people and talking to other people because this <laughs> is um, and no one's gonna watch it. But we had um, uh, Taylor Drescher, Taylor Drescher on, and we were talking about this, and um, we were just saying we we're trying to guess cards, whatever. And then all of a sudden, she just picked up a card and she's like, "Okay, what is it, Steve?" And I was like, "What?" I know. I'm, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, but I was like, look, Dave's more than mentalist. It's over to Dave. So Dave was trying, he was like, oh, it's a black card, and she's like, oh, it's red or whatever it was. No, it was black, wasn't it? Yeah, I said and, it's red, and she said no. I said on the back as on the back. Yeah, I got it, I said oh, it's black, but it is a club, and that hit. And then Steve went the four of clubs. And she was I just went like four clubs. And she went. <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> showed it. It, was, it was just a part like it, it looks set up but it, we swear to god it wasn't but it, i was just like yeah four clubs i, don't know. I had another story that's uh, a funny one i did a gig once with david penn um and it was some some charity i think it was something to do with the stars or something and um and I, I remember i was going around and i was doing the usual thing um i wasn't doing i think i probably had the nightmare with the uh with the with the sort of like who is it you're thinking of somebody that's not here and I was doing pets at the time and uh, I used to do this thing where I'd go um, think of a, think of a pet now you can have any animal in the world so if you're a wild animal you can have a wild animal you can tell it to you whatever animal you want go for this animal write this animal down anyway so I was doing this around the tables I'm doing all this stuff and we, it was the last table I was coming to the last table we were just about done and Dave walked away from it and he went that table's a nightmare you're gonna have fun on that one. And you know, think, oh, great, it's my last table. And David Penn, who's like genius at Close Up Magic, and he really is like the man. He's brilliant at Close Up Magic. And I'm thinking, oh, great, what am I going to do? Um, so I thought, well, you know, what the hell, I'll just do what I normally do and see what happens. So I'm like, I go to the table, like, I pick this lady out because I think she looks the most friendly. And I'm like, um, think of an animal, any animal in the world. Doesn't have to be. You can, doesn't have to be a normal animal. You can have a wild animal. You want, whatever animal you want, it's entirely up to you. Write it on this pad. I don't want to use your pad. I think there's something dodgy with your pad. There was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I piece of paper. Okay. I'm not going to use your pen either because I think your pen's dodgy. I'm going to use my pen. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they're like, okay, write down the animal. And you might, you know, when your mind's going through like a million methods. 
<laughs> and I'm like, okay, so uh, can I check it on? No, you're not like taking it off me. I'm keeping it here in my hands. Ah, so I'm like, right, okay. And now Dave's watching me sort of sniggering over the side because he knows I'm doomed. And I go to her, okay, so um, pinch this animal on your mind, get it in your head. And I go through the pattern I normally do. And I write down giraffe because I've done this a million times. And weirdly enough, ladies often pick giraffes. Don't know why, but they do. So I write down giraffe on my business card and I put it face down. And I think, well, what the hell? I'm going to crash a burner or I'm not. So I think, right, I'm going to, I'll pass her a bit and see if I can vibe of what she's gone for, like you did. And if I think it's gone the other way, I'll change it last minute. So yeah. I'm going to go this way. And, and her husband, who's like this real fat cat, leans over and goes, if you get this right, I'll buy her a pair of fucking Jimmy Choo shoes. You know, he's like, proper giving it so I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. So she goes through it. And um, and I'm thinking, I'm on the money here. And I'm not quite sure. But I, in the end, I went, just name it. What is it? And she goes, giraffe. And I really want to go around the room high-fiving everybody. But at this point, I'm pissed off. But I know I've won. So I go, fair enough. Have a look at the card. And they turn it over. And the whole table freaks out. And I go, thanks, good night. And I just walk off. But really, all I want to do is go around high-fiving the room. And you've never seen anything move so fast as he did beside me. He went, what have you done with that? How did you do that? And I went, I just guess. And I guess. All it was, it was just a guess. And I got lucky that time. But there was no way I was doing anything else on that table. Because they just... They were awful, yeah. really awful. And you couldn't follow that anyway. You know, it was just one of those moments. But, boy, was I pleased. I've, I've, had, I've had that in like a close-up thing as well. You know, I, I don't want to use your cards. I don't want to use your pen. I don't want to use whatever. And I, I just flip it on them. And I'm like, were you never hugged as a child? Let's all hug this man. And I get the whole table to hug this guy. Like, uh, And then I've got, now we'll start over, you know. Uh, just, That's just the gold be... right there. That's the gold. <laughs> I, I, I've, gotten, I've, I've taken people off stage to get in hugs from random people in the audience. Pre-COVID, obviously. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. It was like, you, you were never hugged. Okay, cool. Let's just get a little cue for this guy to get a couple of hugs in. He'll be fine then. We'll start well, great. I'm totally using that. <laughs> <laughs> it's yours with my blessing. Well, it's great with those people as well as if you get them to pick a card, they are so secretive with the card because they don't want you to see it. Cause they think, and they crimp the card for you. So they need to <laughs> the middle of the deck, give the card the cut and it's on top. And you're like, perfect. Like, there's no way. It's crimped and it's like five times warmer than every other card because they've been like this. Yeah, yeah they're great. I love those moments. Those moments are brilliant. They really are. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think we've gone over an hour now, so I'd just like to say thanks to John for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, for people who want to find more of your stuff and maybe get in contact with you if they need something built or anything like that, where's the best place to find you online? The the quickest way to find me is find me on Facebook. Because um, I do have a website for my magic props, uh, which is custommagic.co.uk, but you can't actually buy anything there. It's almost like a showroom. Um, you still have to find me, which is why I like to stay underground a little bit. So if you want to find me, find me on Facebook. It's the easiest thing. Or short of that, just Google me and you'll find my website. I'm easy enough to find. You know, as we should be as magicians. We all book in. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, we've got uh, deceivereality.com. So if you need any magic stuff, just go there. We've got some Murphy's magic stuff up there as well, uh, which is great. Thanks, so thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back again soon and hope everybody has a great weekend and enjoy everything. And we'll talk to you again soon.